Hello, everyone. Welcome to Irenicast. This is the second in our series on continuing the conversation where we went to Facebook Live and YouTube Live to discuss our most recent episode, episode 166, Moral Truth, Relative or Reality. For those of you that joined us live on this recording, thank you so much. We really appreciated having you there and having your input. And if you'd like to join us for the next one, it'll be in two weeks on May 25th at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and we'll be discussing the episode that's coming up this coming Tuesday, which will be episode 167, and we'll be continuing our series on truth. We'll be talking about where our truth comes from. So uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, We hope that you enjoy these. We did mention a few things, so if you'd like to visit the show notes for this particular episode, you can do that at irenicast.com slash 166 live. That's irenicast.com slash 166 live, or you can go to our YouTube channel and Facebook page to view this yourself if you'd rather see us than hear us. So thank you again for everyone who listens, and here we are with continuing the conversation on moral truth. Hello, everyone, and welcome. We are Irenicast. I'm Jeff. It's your boy, Alan. This is Bonnie. That's Rajiv. This is our second in the continuing conversation series. So we are continuing the conversation to provoke your progressive Christian imagination. Welcome, everyone who is trickling in or you're watching on the replay. Uh, This is our regular well, not regular. We're starting this for the second time. This is our series. We're discussing primarily the episode that we just released, episode 166 on moral truth, the second in our four-part truth series. We hope that you are all enjoying it. And we wanted to come on here and give a little bit of our kind of continuing thoughts on that conversation. But more importantly, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what you thought about the episode. If you had any questions specifically about the episode and we want to kind of take this time to address it. And then at the end of our conversation, we will give you a little teaser for part three of the, the truth, uh, the truth saga, which it is now it was going to be a trilogy, but we've added a fourth part. So it is an official saga because there's not a word for a four part thing, right? It's a quadrilogy. Is it really? Is it that a thing? I think I'm gonna reach deep into my nerddom. I don't know. I'm sure there's a word for it, but quadrilogy. We're we gonna go, we go with saga. That's gospels. <laughs> I think we should just go with that. Oh my god, <laughs> the Irenicast truth gospel. <laughs> Too bad you can't hard bound a podcast. Get yeah. the transcript going. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, so we, we, we did it. We initially had one episode on the books on truth. And then that conversation in the middle of that conversation, we realized we need to talk about like the actual practical stuff of this. Cause we were getting a little heady with our truth conversation. And, um, we decided to go with the moral direction. Uh, any, any thoughts from, from you all in terms of like anything you forgot to say or wanted to say, or wanted to expand on after listening to the, to the most recent episode? I always have something I want to say. Go for it. Yeah, this, there's this excited part of me that always wants to raise my hand in class. Hasn't left quite yet. Um, <laughs> I was just listening to someone at one point who was talking about a major like shift in their thinking in their 60s. And they had talked about before that happened, their accounts were closed with reality. Like the the amount of reality they were willing to question had just been like settled or something like that. And then I started thinking about in terms of morality, like, do we get to the point where we close our accounts? Like got it figured out. Morality is a done deal. We're not going to, you know, deconstruct it anymore or pull it apart or pay attention to it or let it progress. And then I realized for me, I think, uh, I think I'd rather have my ideas of morality being an ever evolving thing, but I've never purposefully owned that up to this point in my life. It's been more like, Oh, I found the right answer now, you know, <laughs> not necessarily like this kind of, uh, graduating, graduating sort of journey where I'm discovering what morality looks like in the here and now, given what we know, given the conversation, given, given the partners I have in life, like all, all sorts of factors, but that's a radical shift in my thinking yeah, about, is. about ethics and morality. <laughs> Jeff, <laughs> it, it's radical because why? What makes it radical? I've never thought about it that way before. That my that my idea of what is right and wrong should always be changing. 
if if I'm going to have a relationship with reality and with the universe that takes my my participation in it humbly and seriously, then I think there always has to be an openness there to some degree. But it's weird to think that there's more of the universe to discover in terms of morality. You know, like there's a whole landscape out there that we're just starting to touch on. I mean, that's probably directly related to your theological framework. Right. You know, God was an absolute in the way you were taught and Mm -hmm. unchanging and unflinching. Sorry, got there. We have an unflinching dog as well. Watchdogs on duty. It's okay. It's live. That's the beauty of it. Yeah, there's two huge bluebirds that just flew up to my window and are looking at me. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I've been doing the Cinderella thing lately. Oh my God. That's cool. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll I'll get up and get the dogs out of here. I love it. They have a word to say too <laughs> about their changing. But yeah, morality. as far as changing, so your God's changing, Alan. Right. Yeah. You know my conceptions of God and myself and the world. It's all very familiar and also like elastic to some degree and growing. Right. Yeah, so do you, um, is that different than morality's contextual? Uh, <clears throat> that's a great question. I think that those are probably the same thing. Like what it means to be a human being has been evolving for however long. What it means to be anything is, is an evolving thing. And so morality must be an evolving thing. That just kind of like goes hand in hand for me. Mm-hmm. And what it means to be me is evolving as well. So it's. It's just weird to think about ethics and moral- morality in that in that realm because I've always been placed off in this like platonic archetypes. There's just this thing that exists somewhere that is m- goodness or morality, and then it you know shows up on the earth occasionally. But to bring it down and make it more concrete and changing is is kind of wild. Yeah, and scary for structures. I get why people don't want to take that journey. Yeah, it changes everything. I know um, we had a really great conversation with our son, Julian, yesterday. He was like, you know, when you're in that fundamentalist framework of morality, truth, you're never really doing theology. Like each person has their own theology that they've internalized in their own minds in relationship to doctrines. What you're doing together is doctrine, not theology. I was like, yeah, I think that's kind of true. And I think in morality, it's really similar. Like it's, we, we're not really exploring morality or ethics. We have this set of doctrines, and I'm talking about in the older frameworks, that we're relating to and we're discussing and we're sort of figuring out. But, you know, it's so set and so fixed that we don't actually – have a dialogical relationship with one another and with the with theology itself. So how would you how would you define the difference between doctrine and theology? I'm curious. Uh, doctrine's the set of beliefs that people adhere to in community and theology is a relationship with God or language that we have for God. And then morality's relation to that is is what for you? Well, I guess if if you think of God as good or the good, then you you look to God or you look you know you you're in conversation with people about what is good in order to be able to create some sort of moral structure or framework. Right. It's almost not everybody thinks God is good. (laughs) <laughs> right. So. And it's all it's almost more unsettling to some degree to think like when I'm when I'm older, hopefully decades from now, I will look back and realize my definition of morality has changed. What I thought was right and what I thought was wrong is different than it was when I was 33 years old. And that's like not um something like I've a lot of people I guess necessarily embrace. Uh, to, to think that their morality should be changing like that. 
So what are some moral changes that you've some practical moral <laughs> changes that you've 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 had? What do you mean? Like in my code of ethics and code yeah, how's your code of ethics changed? If if you're you're looking I mean, at it changing, how has it changed? Or how <laughs> how are you willing to admit that it's changed? <laughs> Here on Facebook Live. If if we want to go down into the the psychology of Alan and discover what has happened, we can do that. But I just no, I have a very I have like a so much more compassionate outlook on things. Like life is really long, life is really weird, and there's more grace and space than I could have ever imagined uh, at any moment in my life. And so, I think some of the the older folks have always been trying to tell me that, um, and I've haven't quite heard it up to this point. And I know that, we, you know, we've talked about how there's there's different staging evolved and involved in the human life, and so maybe what's right for one person is not necessarily right for another, just given by the nature of what stage you're at in your own development and fruition. And so it's hard to to be at one place to look back and say, you know, at the end of my life, oh, okay, all this doesn't necessarily really matter. Well, to people who are younger and going through something, maybe it does matter. Maybe those ethics are really strong, powerful things. But, you know, my my ethics around relationships and marriage has changed. Sexuality, gender, um, right and wrong in a lot of areas. Yeah. Well, for those of you that are Raising that are kids. that are watching, <laughs> you know, feel free to add your comments or see or uh, thoughts in the the comments. We definitely want to address those or steer um, me in the right direction. Steer all or, of us in the right yeah, direction. Or tell yes. us we're wrong. If you like, yes. I get the, I get those messages too. You know, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I don't I don't think we get enough hate mail. I I I don't pass it around enough. Yeah, because yeah, I think uh, people people don't take it seriously enough. Here we go. We got we got uh Shannon. Is that an invitation? <laughs> to take us seriously. Shannon uh, says identify with what uh Rev Allen is saying. I think life experiences and relationships with others cause us to change our moral thinking of quote right and wrong. Absolutely. Yes. It it has to. Yeah. I mean, if not, can you I mean just can you I can't even imagine if I still held that same stuff that I did when I was twenty one. Right. Think about the big step leap leaps forward that you've made in your thinking or in your growth around morality. A lot for me, it's happened like Shannon saying in the context of certain relationships, didn't have to really think hard about this topic or that topic until it was somebody's life. And then I was like, man, Mm -hmm. not to do the hard work of what love looks like. Right. Because those relationships and those experiences take your morality from a thought exercise to something that has a face that has an experience of their own. And if you, if you, and um, this may be a blanket statement, but if you can't reevaluate your morality in the face of someone, then you have no compassion and you have no heart and you don't have a morality. You have a set of like, you have like a code that, yeah. that drives you. That's, that's, you know, the best word I can think of is, is legalistic, you know? Yeah. We talk about this in an episode coming up. It's not coming. It's not in the last episode and it's something we just recently recorded, but the idea that, I think for people who don't have a lot to lose, you don't think through those moral questions because you just benefit off of whatever the accepted kind of story is about morality in your community. And it's the folks on the margins who are suffering or uh, oppressed who, you know, live all of those questions because it's their bodies. But for folks that are more, you know, look like the center of power, those questions aren't very prescient. Right. Until they have to be. But all the more they should be. <laughs> right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it's, it's yeah. so, it's, it's opposite of what a lot of us were, you know, told, right? Like you're, um, you know, if, if your relationships are crumbling or whatever, as long as you're following the letter of the law, then it's their fault and you're, you're being mm-hmm. persecuted, you know, like there's this perpetual victim mentality that's connected mm-hmm. to your morality. And uh, that's something that, uh, that, that drives lack of compassion, lack of empathy, lack of connection and, and lack of growth forward because you're, you're purposely bubbling yourself. You're, you know, separating yourself from something new. Mm-hmm. But you can have it sort of both ways. Cause it's either like, 
God's blessing or God's curse on you, depending on right. how you want to, if you want to claim it as like victory or victimhood. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes they're both the same, right? Because if you are the victim, then you are the victor because it means you're doing something right. <laughs> right. right. The gospel right. You, YouTube mm-hmm. deleted my post because it was fake news, but that just proves that YouTube's in on the cabal that's deleting <laughs> all of mm. the truth out there. <laughs> I've been hearing that a lot lately. Uh, what was your post? No, not my post. post. I'm just, people are sharing, um, right. Some of those videos that, mm-hmm. you know, are filled with yeah. fun propaganda mm-hmm. stuff. And then when it gets deleted, it's like, see, I knew it. <laughs> well, so you, you, you know, it's interesting. The phrase that just comes to my mind, morally curious sounds so wrong. <laughs> you know, like, Hey, that's a morally curious person. Like, okay, stay away from them. <laughs> But, but what if morally curious was a great thing? I think like, it is a great thing, right? Mm-hmm. It has to be a great thing. Like morally fixed is the scary. Yeah. Part, right. Right. 100%. I mean, having some consistency around your behavior isn't a bad thing necessarily. But to perpetuate that in an unexamined way, year after year, decade after decade, is, you know, I, I think that's antithetical to what, our human experience is supposed to be right. But then there is, there is at the same time, there is a, a, well with that, there is a consistency, right? Like I would say for me, the driving force has, has always been love and life. Like that, that's always been the undercurrent, but I was told that different ways of the quote unquote right way to express that love or to perpetuate life. Uh, And you know, when I say life, I just mean like just some sort of, abundant joy-filled experience and you know being a part of perpetuating that but that's changed because i realized oh well that may have been a way to do that in this particular group but as i heard this person's experience then i realized that that how i view my expression of love has to change so i think there has been an underlining but i don't know if that would be more like a moral thing or more of a i don't know i don't know would that be something like below the surface would that be more of an energy or force or God that's holding that together. Would we even consider that morality love, or is that something deeper? I think that's a great question. There's an ethic of love for sure that a lot of Christian ethicists have used, you know, based on Jesus example. Right. But you would also people say like, I would (laughs) guess that a lot of people who are against people who are purposely uh, oppressing people of color or the LGBTQ community would say, well, they're, they're in sin and it wouldn't be loving for me to, you know, a, B or C. Right. And I, maybe even, I know I was at one point in that place uh, from a certain perspective. So it's, it's like, we can say love and we can say an ethic of love, but then who defines the ethics of that love or what love looks like. It's a tricky thing. I mean, we've all had relationships where we've had to set up boundaries and things. And like the question of how do I love in this, in this scenario is not always an easy question. But I think if you're like racking your brain about it and being like, what is the, how do I like listen to love and move forward in love? You're probably like on the right path already. You know, that's where I've landed is that if you're struggling, then that's a good thing. Like if it's super easy for you to dismiss someone, your, your morality is super easy to cast someone aside and you don't even have a second thought to me there, therein lies the issue. Yeah. And Shannon uh, writes also great question. Who defines the ethics of love? And I think that that's, that's the the struggle, but I guess the the key Me. word there is: Are we struggling, Alan? <laughs> if you want to know whether something is loving or not, I will give you the answer. All right. Well, I think it's really complex. In the, I'm, Alan, I'm so glad you've you've designated yourself that person. Absolutely, I'll I'll take one you. for the team. Yep. Yeah. But I mean, like we know enough about basic human experience. Don't you think to some extent that maybe sometimes we make it more complex than it really has to be. Yeah. We can certainly do that. 
we're, we're known to <laughs> make things more <laughs> difficult than they really should be. Well, what about you all? What's oh, so go ahead, Rajiv. No, I, I mean, yeah, in, inviting more, um, uh, I guess audience participation is great. So please, uh, put comments in there. We'll, we'll respond to them. My question Alan was, will, re- yeah, Alan yeah. will respond to them and Absolutely. give you the My, right answers. We'll give you the right answer. My yeah. question was for our listeners, like what's some, what's something that's changed for you that you thought was wrong at one point and, or right. And that's changed and evolved. Well, I, I was going to say one of the difficulties I think that we have when we're in spaces, faith houses, family, whatever, and those are the spaces where you talk about these kinds of things, like what's our ethic, what's morality. Um, there's a sense that there's already a fixed ethic and a fixed morality that any adventurous thinking conversation ends up defaulting back to, well, but we really know where we're supposed to be after all. There's very little opportunity or very little um, established structure that invites real change and real growth and evolution in community where these conversations need to be happening, happening. So we have our own individual, like, this is how I would do things. And then everyone around us, or sometimes everyone around us will say, well, this is how it's supposed to work in order for us to stay in relationship. And then we just default back to the, to the norm. This is going to sound a little bit out there, but uh, I'm, I said before, what it means to be a human has been evolving. We're talking like hundreds of thousands of years Absolutely. and far longer. What it like physically actually means to be a human being has changed. And mm-hmm. um, if you think far into the future, it's going to continue changing. So what's right and wrong will have to change too, because you're mm-hmm. like the substance of what we're talking about is different. Communities will be different. Culture is different. And then so assuming that you can come into a culture and be like, oh, I know what's right and wrong for all of these people who have lived in this place for a long time. That kind of colonial mindset, at the very least, is the opposite of of love and change and being open to, like, <clears throat> you know, when people talk about spiritual experiences, they'll use the, the language of journey and travel and things like that. They'll say, oh, I... I went on a trip or I, I traveled and, or this is the spiritual path. I'm on a path and a journey. Um, when you travel to other places, like you see how the world's different. They do things differently than you do. Their, their code of uh, what's right and wrong in the world is so drastically different that you realize all of a sudden like, Oh wow, my givens are not ones that are just the way nature is. Cause I'm in nature. I'm surrounded by people who are part of nature and they're doing it differently than I am. And, uh, my mind goes back to reading Poisonwood Bible by Barbara Kingsolver. Uh, is anyone, anyone else listening, uh, like people, listeners ever read that? That book messed me up in one of the best possible ways. It's so good. It's about this like uh, missionary family that goes out to Africa and tries to baptize people in the river where, you know, crocodiles are eating their children and things and um, just shows like that colonial mindset from a fiction perspective. But I think travel is one of the best things that ever helped me be more morally curious. Right. And and I wonder how many of us, our morality is connected to either the punishment of or reward of an afterlife Mm -hmm. and how much that influenced morality, because it wasn't about you're making the space that you're in better. It was about making sure that you're securing your space for another place and how that affects that um before we get into that uh sammy Yay. says i've already bring it up too many times <laughs> on my list ah, the book that helen was talking about <laughs> well she i'll make sure i wrote writer. it down i'll make sure it's in the show notes for this when you go into uh when we put the audio from this on our feed and that'll be at irenacast.com slash 166 live that's slash 166 live uh and i'll put that in the the show notes for those of you that are listening either on replay or are you're listening on the feed or the podcast feed a second, a second book by Barbara King Solver, which is super good, uh, Flight Behavior. And it came out only maybe three or four years ago. She's, she's brilliant. And that one has a lot to do with like climate change, but more from this like really grounded, uh, just brilliant fiction. So highly recommend. Mm-hmm. Super cool. 
Yeah. I mean, we're talking about yeah. books. It's a good, it's a good <laughs> evening, everybody. We're talking about novels and fiction. It can't be better. I, I think, yeah, I think moral curiosity, like going to novels to, to mm-hmm. immerse oneself in a whole different experience in a whole different context. That's like a great way to be morally curious. And actually during quarantine times, you know, binge watching is kind of the norm now for a lot of people. Uh, Outlander, the show Outlander, which is a stars series that is on Netflix. And I don't know what we watch. I think we watch it on Amazon, but around morality and ethical frameworks is a really fascinating show because it time jumps between 1960s Scotland and um, like the revolution period in, in the colonies of the United States. So if you haven't seen it yet, it's really good. Interesting. Uh, Shannon says, think about how many times we have, think about how many times we have to think about the historical context of biblical story, biblical stories, morals change with human evolution. I mean, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the exercise of biblical interpretation is, is proof of <laughs> some sort of uh, moral change in terms of how we interact with the world and how we interact with each other. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. As far as sexuality goes, that's like one of the open and closed cases for me is like, we don't think about humans as property anymore. Wow. That's changed a lot <laughs> in the human psychology. And so I approach that question well, very differently than before. We know we're not supposed to think of humans as property anymore. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. But we still do to varying degrees. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Like even kids, you know, people still treat kids like property too, their own children. I mean, we all, we all do it to some degree. And there are things that we're doing now that like our grandchildren will say, why could you, how could you act like that? Right. And it's fun sometimes to like, I, to imagine what those things might be. Like, I wonder if we'll discover animals have souls or something, and it will just be really wrong to eat animals. For example, I don't know. Well, I just, just hope not. What's that, so bad. <laughs> what's that theory that there's con- consciousness permeates everything? It sounds super mm-hmm. like hippy dippy or whatever, but I think it's a really interesting, a really interesting proposition that consciousness is not just something that is a phenomenon that arises like between our ears, but something that's actually pervading all of reality is an, an interesting question that I, I don't know. I've just been reading up on it a lot lately. Bonnie and Sammy says they do. Yes. I'm with you, so, Sammy. Totally. All there's, there's this human ethic, right? This ethics of love, but then what about the ethics of the planet and our relationship to all of creation? Sometimes yeah. that doesn't get included when we think about moral truth. And and we have these weird arbitrary lines, like speaking of animals and what we eat and don't eat. Like, you know, people don't eat dogs in our culture. And it's like, why not? Pigs are actually smarter than dogs. Pigs are oh, no. known to be more yep. <laughs> empathetic. Um it's sort of like it. I, I don't even believe strange arbitrary so. things I was wondering that's even, called monism all right go ahead <laughs> thank you for putting a, a word You're to welcome. it out. I appreciate Any, that anytime I'm right. still here no, I, I think uh, just going um, I lost my train of thought. What, what were we? You said humans don't have souls. <laughs> no, I was, going, I was trying to move past that. <laughs> Pigs are smarter than dogs. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, I was just—it was a stupid anecdote, but I, I remember hearing. I don't remember who which com- comedian it was, but it was like we we base what we're going to eat based on its perceived cuteness, you know. Whether, yes, <laughs> and then that's mm-hmm. that's where we are. Uh, Robin uh, jumped in, and says, "Hey guys, popping in for a minute, taking a break from homework." Oh well, welcome, Robin. Thank you so Good much. Good to for see you, Robin. Coming on the the live, we appreciate you watching. It's a good place. Uh, well, if you're doing right any here. homework on ethics and morality, you probably want to <laughs> tune out right now. <laughs> right. We might make you have to start all over if you're writing a paper because Alan is the source of all morality. And if yep. you're just joining yeah. us, <laughs> he'll just tell you you're wrong. Slide into my DMs with your questions and I'll give you the wisdom. 
you know, taking that step further, not only is like, do we eat animals according to their cute, their, you know, their cuteness or whatever, their relatability or the survival of whole species are going to be on whether we think it's cute or whether we can eat it. And that's it. Like pretty soon we'll have a, a, a monoculture of like six animals that we're almost there around the whole world. And then like a few types of plants and that's pretty much what we'll eat. Technology will save us. We'd be able to print our own meat so we don't need to worry about animals for our meat. It's what? It's, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to my first 3D printed burger. I'm telling you guys right now, I want that 3D printed burger. I want to talk about the ethics of love and technology. That would be great. Absolutely. I think I, I do think that like technology is an extension of the human body. And if the human body is made in love and for love, and it's something we experience the universe through, the technology can be too. Yeah, I think technology has opened up all kinds of moral questions that we'll be wrestling with for a long time. Oh yeah, for sure. That we're we're still wrestling with 1990s technology. I mean, right. we're, we're never going to catch up. I guess we have to hope our empathic abilities can evolve as quickly as right. our technology. Right. Uh, Robin says our homework is integrated approaches to psychology and Christianity. Oh, Very nice. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> Very cool. Lab right. grown meat. Yeah. Send us your paper. Maybe yeah. you can, you can join us as a, as a guest on the show. We could talk about that very subject. That sounds, that sounds that's Jeff. really interesting. Little known fact. That's Jeff's alternate Twitter handle. Lab grown meat. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Another comment from Robin lab grown meat. Yes. I'm, I'm down for it. I'm, I'm down for lab grown meat. I think, I mean, I like the impossible burger. I mean, it, that's basically what that is, isn't it? No, it's, it's just, it's veggies with the it's right lab seasoning formulated. Like yeah. But they got the, like the iron something or other that mimics blood in. Right. They do it's have chemistry, that. but. I've, I've I've had them. They're not bad. They're getting there. They're getting better and better. I like them. I like them. And if I can still eat meat and then ease the guilt for doing it, I'm down. Like sign me up right now. I'm I'm there. You're talking so about bio- guilt, though. Biotech companies that are growing meat. Is that what you're talking about? In labs. I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My brain went somewhere in the the universe just now. Robin, I've been vegan and it's so trip. hard. I. It I don't know hard. how y'all do it. I don't know how y'all do it. I've. It is hard. The other thing is just accept that life is robbery and um, you exchange. honor. Exchange money. <laughs> that you honor <laughs> the death of the oh, things man. that you eat. Mm-hmm. There, there's no exchange, man. Especially the human species. No, but we I think. Far more than we need by the time our, <laughs> our bodies right. are done. I agree right. that that there is robbery, but it doesn't like it's, it's to me. Maybe it's life is a journey from robbery to exchange, and that's what where our moral journey. Is that Jeff laying down some theological roots now? I like it. That's yeah, where that's I'm exactly landing. Cool. Step one is stop eating meat. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Step one is slowly reducing your consumption of meat. Like, let's not go overboard, Reggie. <laughs> Wow, uh, Shannon Jeff. says agree. She would love to eat meat without any guilt. I still eat yeah. meat. I'm with you. I, I I can't. Yeah, Shannon, I like that idea. Um, Shannon, I'm assuming you're speaking of the life is robbery. Uh, that that was this episode, right? Now they're all kind of jumbling together for me. But the morality episode, we talked about that idea yeah, of exchange and robbery and. Uh, it's I'm too bad Casey's not here because yeah, yeah he, right. Casey is on assignment. I forgot to say that at the top yeah. of the show for those of you that there might be some of you that tuned in and be like, "Hey, where's Casey? I'm not." I'm not hanging out here. Um, I, I truly in our hearts. He's, he's our Beyonce. Mm-hmm. So, but he's not going solo yet. He's still with us. <laughs> I, th- I think for the, for the, the work of creating your moralities and ethics, that it's helpful to start somewhere. And for me, that place is starting with a combination of clarity and compassion, just actually showing up and looking at, at what we're talking about. Like if I went to a different I know this is like just a thought experiment, but if I went to a different planet, landed, saw this like intelligent species, and I was like, you're bad for doing that <laughs> before I like even understood, or it's just a prop product of their bodies or like something they did all naturally. Um, I, you wouldn't do that, you know, you wouldn't go there and tell them that like you're a bad person because your body does this and you're biologically hardwired to do that. Yet think about how much of human culture is shaming 
what is normal and universal in our, our human experiences. And if you want to create like this dearth of, um, I don't know, like unfulfilled uh, humanity or repressed or whatever you want to say it, take something that's universal and shame it. Right. And then that, you can create ethics all around that, but that f- initial wound is still there. You're still shaming something for what it is. And I don't know. There's maybe there's some holes in that argument. Maybe things are not just the way they are. Right. I, I haven't really thought too hard about that, but I'm quick to not call human stuff bad anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. I think that's, I think that's a nice thought. But without it, you know, without it, we wouldn't even be talking about human beings shouldn't be property. Somewhere along the line. Without what? We we wouldn't be talking about the idea that human beings shouldn't be the property of other human beings. If we we just went with like compassion, this is just what we do. This is just how it Uh, works. I mean, you know, somebody I, I, I refuse to believe that human beings started with slavery. You know, like I, I, I'm, I don't think we can construct the human past, but I don't think it began with a huge system of enslavement. Like at least in my mind, I, f- I feel like that's probably not where humanity began. But it, so it you're you're talking about. Go ahead, Reggie. Sorry. sorry go ahead. Just sort of a vacuum, like at the origin of any species, this behavior shouldn't be judged. Uh, no, like right now. Just right now, like if I see what a species body does and how it interacts with its environment, I wouldn't begin with a place of condemnation or shame. You know what I mean? Oh, like if, I, I wouldn't. If you were I, a, like if, if you observer. were an alien that yeah. came in, yeah, and observed our space. Okay. Yeah, or or if I was a human looking at another human, I'd be like, wow, they're acting like a human. That's what humans do. I wouldn't begin with a place of being like, you are bad because you're functioning as a human being. I think that's where my humanism attaches itself to my faith. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I understand. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> okay. So I've, I've quoted this a long time ago. Terrence, he was a Greek playwright way back when he, he wrote, uh, I'm human. Therefore nothing human is alien to me. So I think at the very least I can begin any ethical conversation with I'm a human and you're a human. And what you're doing is probably not so out of the bounds of normality that it's never been done before, that it's weird, that it just requires immediate shame and pushing away. You know what I mean? Like I can begin with, wow, yeah, sometimes humans are violent. Sometimes humans are terrible. Sometimes humans are. And I can at least start with that common humanity and empathy that allows me to see clearly before questions of shame and tabooing and ostracization come into play. Because I think once that happens, then it's no longer... You're no longer seeing the person. You're seeing their action, their the icon of what it means in in society, and those are important things. But mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of whittling my way to the, at least the beginning point of any ethical conversation. And that- and I was going to say, and that's why you should never go to coffee with your pastor when they ask you to go, because <laughs> they're not they're not going there to sit with you in that space. You know, when they say, "Hey, I notice you've been straying lately," so. Can we just have a conversation? Can we just have some coffee? They're they're not asking you to sit in that space of compassion and clarity. You know, they're there for something very different. That's a side note. Well, you sound a little bit like Brian Stevenson, who wrote Just Mercy. Like, or he he says, you know, we're not the sum total of our activity of our actions. And every human is is worth more than the sum total of all the bad things they have done. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm sure I'm paraphrasing. He probably he says it more eloquently than that. But, you know, yeah. Humans have the capacity to do all kinds of things. Yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying now. I was I would think I was more along where Rajiv was. I think he, I thought at first you were talking about like our origins or our natural state or like in a vacuum. That, right. In that. OK, but I, I see what you're saying. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah. At the same time, I don't say just because something happens is the way it should happen. Like, I think that right. that's a non-starter of a conversation. 
Right. No, but by the way, about not being the the sum total of your actions. I used to try to convince Jeff when I was a kid that that was the case. Like uh, we had this conversation about cookies or something. Do you remember this, Jeff? I do. It was like you know your mom makes some cookies, puts them out on the 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 kitchen counter, and you run in and take one before you're allowed to. And I was like, that means you're a robber. It changes the quality of who you are. You are now in this whole like ontological category of robbers. And so you're guilty under the law and you need Jesus to forgive you. Just like Alan, it was a cookie that you were going to get anyway. And like your mom made it for you. You're not a robber. And so we have this huge conversation and it's been a lot. Yeah. I remember that now. I do. I do. I remember. Well, you were very much like the way of the master type person, right? That, uh, <laughs> that, that, that evangelical route that Kirk Cameron champions where you go around and you ask people, are you a sinner? No, I'm a good person. Well, have you stolen? Well, then therefore you are a sinner. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. I, I remember having those conversations with you. And, and now it's like, does, is there something that remains of human beings outside of just what we do? I don't know. I think so. I, yeah. There, I think so. It, you know, all the thoughts that went into deciding what you were going to do, those remain. Right. Yeah. Caitlin says, yes, Bonnie, it goes, each of us is more than the worst thing. Oh, thank done. you. Thank you, Caitlin. That's, that's much better. <laughs> yes. So how, how do you take these, these talking points to the family of a mod? That's Yeah. You don't. I mean, <laughs> that's the- okay. So what do you, what do you do then? <clears throat> I think that maybe that's a failing in our morality is to think that it at that place that that's where we're we're to fix a situation that's not ours. Where we're we're the the the, the basis of more, our moral thought is to create something for someone else, and I think that that's where we get into a lot of problems. Is that we try to universalize our conclusions. And impose them in situations that we know nothing about. I think that that is where we sit in silence. We sit in solidarity. We sit and we listen and we uh, we we allow ourselves to not know what to do. I, I think that's it's clear. Wrong is wrong in that situation. You know, we could we can say that nobody should be on the street jogging and be attacked because you were assumed to have been somebody else or whatever the story is like, that's just wrong. And everybody should agree on, agree with that and should do things that they can to make sure that people who behave in that way are brought to justice. And sometimes being brought to justice means, you know, it means being incarcerated. It means not being able to, do the things that you were always able to do because you did something wrong. Right. And I think, you know, I think it should be clear. Well, if I may bring this quote back up from Caitlin, that she was reminding you of Bonnie, that each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. I would say for a lot of people that each of us is more than the worst thing people who look like us have done. And I think that that's an issue that we're seeing a lot is that people are, you know, lumped in was particularly with racism and, and sexism is that the worst thing that someone that looks like you've done, then society imposes that on you as well. And I think that um, we lose sight of it's, it's weird. We lose sight of the individualism in a hyper individualistic society. That is a weird thought. Yeah. We don't see people as like individuals on their own journey. And then encounter their journey and be like, wow, this is a, a unique human being. We're such an individualized society, but we don't approach people that way. Right. Mm-hmm. Also, to your question, Rajiv, I think ethical debates. I, I don't think I would sit down with a mother of someone that they, you know, who's just lost their child and try to have an ethical debate or conversation necessarily, you know. Um, but how does, I'm not talking about bringing in the idea that, hey, those those murderers are more than the sum of their worst mistake, which this is probably their worst mistake. I mean, to even call it a mistake in that sense is right. kind of like, I mean, was it really a mistake? Right. Yeah. You know, the worst, the worst act. Right. And, and so I think to, 
like to not integrate the realities of of how morality and ethics play out in thought experiments is is i think a real failing on the part of of thinkers the academy writers some writers um and and you know i i think that that happens to us sometimes in our own conversations where where we because we are sheltered um it is it, it, it's something we, we can easily overlook. I think maybe that's why we do hagiography, like, you know, the lives of people who have lived exceptionally. We talk about these heroic figures that have done struck this chord of compassion and clarity in the midst of like a nonviolent reaction to, to oppression, but has, have worked to dismantle it. And I think we focus on their lives because that's where the rubber meets the road. But I don't think I would go to someone and prescribe them how to act or how to respond necessarily. <laughs> So I don't know, like it's, I have these conversations like this for when the rubber does meet the road, there will Mm -hmm. come a time in my life where I am going to have to forgive someone or set a really hard boundary with someone and say, no, absolutely not. You're, you know, you're not going to treat me that way. You're not going to treat the ones I love that way. That's why we talk this way is because it's preparation for those moments where you don't have an hour long or a professor sitting with you to, to walk through all the different iterations of what, now I'm thinking of that show, uh, The Good Place, with uh, have you, you guys have seen have you seen The I Good Place? Seen it. Mm-hmm. There's a yeah. character that's just like frozen all the time because he doesn't know what the right decision is. Right. Usually, because he's playing all the permutations in his brain of like, is this morally good? Is this morally bad? I think, um, uh, uh, listener, I'm sorry if I pronounce your name Renee Rennie. I'm sorry, um, but she says the the systemic sin, and I think that that's where we have that clash of individual morality and the morality of systems and right. organizations, and and how we. I mean, that's not even something we really discussed in the episode at all, or even in touched on. And then how do we how do we maneuver through that clash? And that's where things become, and that seems to be kind of a, a common thought among all of the listeners right now. As Caitlin talks about, it's their context, our white supremacist culture, the history. How do we, how do we account for and atone for the morality of our system? Well, yeah, there's there's certainly a system at play that goes into making acts like this more commonplace than they ever should be. But it boiled down to two individuals with full agency three over their actions in their in the moment. Right. I guess the third is still not hasn't been arrested yet. Right. So, I mean, there's there's lots of reasons. You know, I my dad, I'll use him as an example. He grew up with an extremely abusive father. My dad was not an abusive person. In, you know, in any way. So context is, yeah, whatever. Yes, there's experience and so on, but we all have agency. We all have choices to make. Right. So there are systemic issues that we need to address, but um, it doesn't absolve those individuals from the evil that they perpetrated, um, which was a deliberate act. Uh, and it doesn't absolve, you know, even micro behaviors that don't result in the death of another human being. Choice is always a factor. Yeah, but that's that's also the reason why we have to do our our work in community, because um, you know there's those two the the three individuals who did what they did, and if the communal response was what it should have been, which is they were arrested, they were charged with crimes with with um, murder, and they were tried as they should have been, you know, and they were in the process of being tried as they should should have been, then. Um, the conversation would be different, but they weren't. So then it's like, whose ethics gets to prevail here? Um, yeah. And that right. that's like an entirely different question. What are my ethics and whose ethics get to prevail are almost two different things for me. Probably, I, I, I don't know why that's the case. Maybe I do just live up in my head so much, but... Moving right. from what's right for me to do in, in this situation to what's right for someone else to do, I think it's a bigger leap than most of us take for granted if we're going to move around in the world not trying to control everyone. Anne Lamott said she's a recovering deity. 
and I feel the same way. I feel like she's my she's my soul sister, and uh, I I you know control is a really big part of my life. Trying to control myself really well, trying to control situations and other people, letting go of some of that has has kind of brought into more clarity. Like I can I'm I can only I am uh, I can't make anyone do anything. That, that that's like literally true. I cannot move their muscles for them. I can't like, I can't make anyone do anything and nobody can make me do anything. They can try to pressure me, but ultimately at the end of the day, I make my decisions. And I think that that, that gap is so wide that it gives me a lot of freedom to say, yeah, this, this is right for me. Even if I don't know what's right for somebody else. And I, I, I'm the, I'm the only person that has to live with me for the rest of my life. There's not there's not another human being that has to spend all their time with me, but I do, you know, <laughs> right, right. Well, um, unless there's any other thoughts from those of you that are listening, I think that was a good that was a good continuing the conversation. Uh, thank you all for joining us uh, for the, the 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 hour that we've been together at this point. Um, we'll be putting this on the podcast feed uh on wednesday so if you want to re-listen to it or you can always is that as a bonus episode what's that is that like as a bonus episode yeah it's a the episode between episodes for sure so uh that'll be on there and then the show notes for that will be at uh irenicast.com slash 166 live uh but that won't be up till wednesday so if you try to go to that url right now it'll be not there (laughs) um but we do have the the current episode up if you haven't had a chance to listen to that either and for our next episode we're going to be continuing the truth series and we're going to be talking about um where do we get our truth from our sources of truth and that was a really 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 good conversation that we're excited to share with you as well so that'll be out on a regular tuesday rotation which will be the the third tuesday of may and then we'll conclude the truth series on the first tuesday of june can't believe it's going to be June already and um, we'll be continuing that. So uh, look forward to that again. In the meantime, you can always follow us on Facebook, all these different areas that we have and uh, check out our website at rentcast.com. And you can also support the show. If you like what we're doing, you can do that. Go to irenicast.com slash PayPal. We have the option for you to uh, give monthly or one-time donation. And we are a nonprofit organization. So those, uh, those are tax deductible. Uh, so we appreciate all the people so far that have donated to the to the cause that we're we're working on here. So uh, any final thoughts from those of you that are here or our hosts before we we sign off for this evening? Well, I just want to thank the people who have been yes. participating with the comments. We got into some tough territory, which needs to happen from time to time. So really appreciate you throwing in your thoughts and and keeping the conversation moving. It, it means a lot. Absolutely. Yes. And uh, feel free to friend me on Facebook, Twitter, Goodreads, Instagram, whatever. Uh, I'm just starting my research right now on high control environments and leaving high control environments. And if that's interesting to you, follow me for this journey. That's going to be taking quite a few years. And uh, if that's, and if it's interesting to you, just connect with me and we'll see what we can do together. Just know that if it's interesting to Alan, it's going to be an episode one day. So (laughs) (laughs) always we'll all hear about it. (laughs) Right. Exactly. All right. Well then thank you again, everyone for joining us and we will see you in two weeks for the next continuing conversation where we'll talk about the the upcoming episode on our sources of truth. So take care, have a wonderful evening and thanks for joining the conversation. Peace.